four Baltimore Orioles got to show what they could do on the national stage at the All-Star Game on Tuesday night. And while it didn't go well for all four of them, this night was still a great step in the right direction for this Orioles franchise. I'll recap the All-Star Game for the O's, plus day three of the MLB Draft, coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, July 12th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap the 2023 MLB All-Star Game as the NL finally snapped its losing streak, beating the AL 3-2 on Wednesday night. I'll talk about how all four Orioles performed, a cool moment for Austin Hayes, Adley Rutschman in the spotlight, Yenye Cano pitching very well, and unfortunately, Felix Bautista having one of his only bowed outings of the season. But luckily, it doesn't count. Then we'll get into the final day, day three of the MLB draft on Wednesday, or excuse me, Tuesday afternoon. Talk about picks in rounds 11 through 20 for the Orioles and which guys they got in this draft that could be some big value in the later rounds. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And we're right here on YouTube. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. And thank you to the everydayers out there, the people that are with us day in and day out every single morning on the pod. Thank you specifically for making Locked On Orioles your first listen of the day. For your first listen today, let's start with the All-Star Game. As I mentioned, Tuesday night in Seattle, kind of finishing up All-Star festivities this week. As the National League comes back and wins it 3-2 over the American League, the first win for the NL in the All-Star Game since 2012. It has been a long, long time for the National League, but they finally won one. And unfortunately, let's just get it out of the way. The pitcher taking the loss in the American League was Felix Bautista. Felix, who, not really sure why... Dusty Baker said before the game he was going to go with Kenley Jansen in the ninth over Felix Bautista, but Bautista got the eighth inning, protecting a 2-1 to American League lead. And you could tell from the first pitch that Bautista threw in that eighth inning, he just did not have his normal stuff, his normal command, just did not look totally loose in that eighth inning. And I'm unsure if it was because he was trying to not go 100% because it's just an exhibition, if it was because he hadn't pitched in a couple of days, you know, he hadn't pitched since Friday night in Minnesota. This is now Tuesday, a little bit too long of a layoff. Whatever it might have been, Felix didn't look like himself. And that first pitch to Nick Castellanos was 98 that sailed to the backstop. Ended up walking Castellanos on a nine-pitch AB. You could tell he didn't have great command, especially especially of the splitter because he kept throwing fastballs to Castellanos. And then he faced Elias Diaz and 
He hung a splitter down the middle, basically the same pitch that Aaron Judge homered against Bautista earlier in the year. And Elias Diaz hit a two-run homer to left field to give the National League their 3-2 lead. Really cool moment for Diaz, who was the only Rockies representative. And listen, he's been good this year as their catcher, but not anything amazing. He was just kind of the guy who was having the best year that they put on the team for a really bad Colorado squad. But a great moment for him to see him get that big hit. Unfortunate for Felix, but remember, the game does not count. The performance is not indicative of anything that's going to happen to Felix in the second half. And you know what? The best Felix home runs that he allows are the ones that don't count against the Orioles in any way. He came back, got a pop out, a strikeout, and then a walk and was pulled from the game with two outs in the eighth inning. He threw 28 pitches, which you don't love to see, but it is what it is. Didn't have his best stuff. Exhibition game that doesn't count. I'd rather him use up the best stuff for when it counts for the Orioles as they make a playoff run in the second half. But I would say, to varying levels, the other three Orioles in this game had success. Next, we will go to Adley Rutschman, who entered the game in the sixth inning as a defensive replacement behind the plate after Jonah Heim started the game behind the dish for the American League. And Adley had basically one play to make as a catcher. He one-hopped to throw to first base that... Vladdy couldn't pick out. It was just a part of a banner night for Vlad Guerrero Jr. at first base defensively. Adley got one at bat. It ended up coming in the seventh inning, and he put a good swing on a ball, but lined out to right field, hit the ball 98.2 miles per hour off the bat, had an expected batting average of 430, but just right to the right fielder. And that ended up being Adley's only at bat because the game ended with Adley Rutschman standing on deck as the American League tried to rally against Craig Kimbrell in the bottom of the ninth of a 3-2 game. First two batters were retired, and then Kyle Tucker and Julio Rodriguez both walked, and Jose Ramirez came to the plate with runners on first and second and two down in the bottom of the ninth, worked a 2-2 count, and then struck out, swinging through a high fastball from Kimbrell. Adley was at the plate. So as long as Ramirez basically, you know, didn't hit an extra base hit that probably would have scored Rodriguez from first and won the game, all he had to do was walk, get hit by a pitch, infield single, any kind of single, reach on an error, whatever it might have been. We had a chance with Adley on deck. There was a legitimate shot for Adley to come up with a chance to walk off the All-Star game. It would have been incredible, just didn't happen. He was one batter away, but he hit the ball hard in his one plate appearance. Also took a foul ball in his first inning behind the plate that looked dangerously close to, I'll say, a dangerous area, but he stayed in the game, didn't go down. I think luckily it just hit him in the inner thigh and not anywhere else. That was probably the number one positive of the night for the Orioles. Then we'll get to Austin Hayes, who was the one starter in this game for the O's. Now, wasn't voted in as a starter, but because Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez were both injured, Hayes, who made it onto the team from the player selections, was elevated into the starting lineup and actually got the start in center field in this game. Hasn't played a lot of center field this year for the Orioles, but started in center in the All-Star game, hitting seventh for the American League. His first plate appearance came in the second inning, and Hayes ended up grounding out to second base against Mitch Keller. But then Hayes did get one more shot, and he came through with a single in the fifth inning, kind of lobbing one into center field for a one-out base hit. It was awesome to see Hayes get that single. He would then come out of the game 
for Julio Rodriguez in the top of the sixth defensively, but awesome to see him get on base and get that hit. And I mean, what a cool moment for Austin Hayes, right? Just been grinding since he got that first call up in September of 2017, back and forth between the minors and the bigs, so many injuries, such a roller coaster career. Awesome to see him get to this point, start the game, and get a base hit in the All-Star game. And the last guy we got to talk about is the guy who I think shined the most in an Orioles uniform on Tuesday night, and that was Yenye Cano. Cano, who came out of the American League bullpen and ended up pitching the sixth inning, was awesome. Throws a scoreless sixth inning. Now, he did allow a hit, but he struck out two with no walks, 24 pitches, no hard-hit balls, and he puts up a zero. Now, the beginning of the inning from Cano was just absolute filth. What we've seen all year from Yenye Cano. Comes out there in the sixth inning, facing Matt Olson, strikes him out swinging on a devastating changeup. Facing Nick Castellanos, strikes him out swinging on a devastating changeup. Then he gets Jorge Soler to hit a routine grounder to first base. Inning should be over. Vladdy Jr. fields it and makes one of the worst throws I have ever seen from a first baseman to a pitcher trying to cover the bag well over his head. Goes down as an error. I mentioned Vladdy would make another terrible play at first base later in the game. Then... Cano faces Austin Riley, throws a perfect 1-2 sinker on the outside corner, except for the home plate umpire, Todd Tishner, did not call it strike three. Riley ends up singling, but Cano settles down, gets Ozzy Albies to hit a weak grounder to second base on an 0-2 pitch, gets out of the jam, gets his big zero. Listen, the whole world, if they didn't know him already, was introduced to Yenye Cano on Tuesday night, introduced to the strikeout stare down that he got to do against Olsen, and against Castellanos, and it was just awesome to see this guy. I mean, what a baseball journey it's been for Cano, not just throughout the last year, the struggles, and then the turnaround, but throughout his career in the minors, throughout his career before he even got to the United States, and to come into this All-Star game, get six whiffs on 14 swings, including four on his changeup in one inning in the All-Star game, put up the zero, was just awesome, awesome, awesome for Yenye Cano. But that was the big stuff on Tuesday. Of course, yeah, it's tough that Felix Bautista gave up the homer and took the loss. But again, doesn't hurt the Orioles. And it was still just so cool to see four Orioles in the All-Star game for the first time since 2016. They all had their moment on the field. Got to know them. They're 19 games over 500. Baseball fans can tune in even further to the Orioles now in the second half. But... Want to turn to some of the future Orioles now to finish off this episode as the final day, day three of the MLB draft commenced on Tuesday. Going to break down the rest of the Orioles picks in rounds 11 through 20. That is coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs, what is Bird Dogs? Bird Dogs are the most comfortable shorts I have ever worn. Just amazing shorts. And not only are they comfortable, not only are they breathable, especially in the summer right now. It is like consistently 90 plus and humid right now in Baltimore. I wish I had seven pairs of bird dogs because if I did, I'd just wear them every single day right now because they feel the best in this summer heat and they look the best on my skinny legs as well. It's a good fit. It's a good look. It's a good feel. These are the best shorts you're ever going to wear. And I mentioned the summer. Anti-stink 
sweat-wicking fabric. Keeps you cool, keeps you dry all day long. At least that's what it's been for me. So go to birddogs.com slash MLB or enter promo code LOCKEDONMLB for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash MLB or promo code LOCKEDONMLB for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you that. So I know Felix Bautista gave up the homer, but overall I think a positive night at the 2023 All-Star Game in Seattle for the Orioles' four All-Stars, Felix Bautista, Yenye Cano, Austin Hayes, and Adley Rutschman. But now we switch it over to the draft, which finished up in Seattle during the day on Tuesday before the All-Star Game. It was the third and final day of the 2023 MLB Draft. That is rounds 11 through 20. They cut the draft down to 20 rounds a couple of years ago. It used to go to 50, then it went to 40, then it was five rounds in 2020. Now it's at 20 rounds. This is probably where it's going to stay for a long time. But the final 10 rounds came out on Tuesday, and the Orioles have gotten some pretty solid value out of these later rounds of the past couple of years. I mean, look at a guy, I say specifically like Justin Armbruster, the right-handed pitcher who's now in AAA Norfolk. He was a 13th round pick a couple of years ago. You can get some really good value out of these rounds. So just wanted to run down all of the picks and give you kind of the mini scouting report on each guy that the Orioles selected on day three. And also took a little about signability because some of these guys aren't automatically going to sign with the Orioles. Some of them it's going to take a little bit more to maybe get them to Baltimore. Some of them are just safety blankets for the Orioles if guys higher in the draft don't sign. But we'll talk about that here. And again, the thread of all of the players the Orioles drafted with some video of them and some stats, a scouting report is all on the Locked On Orioles Twitter page on our draft thread, so make sure to go and check that out. But the Orioles started their day in the 11th round, pick number 331 overall. Nestor Herman was the pick, a right-handed pitcher out of Seattle University. Kind of cool for him. You know, the drafts in Seattle gets drafted by his hometown college team. Now, he was a three-year starter at Seattle, and his 2023 stats don't look amazing. 5.97 ERA, 78 innings, did have nine strikeouts per nine, which is pretty good. Now, I mentioned this on... Tuesday's episode when talking about the draft with the crazy juiced ball and the insane offensive environment in college baseball this year you can basically knock off one run off of everyone's ERA to get a more general perspective of what it should look like but still 5.97 is not great now the reason why the Orioles went after this guy in the 11th round he basically doubled his strikeout rate from 2022 to 2023 And yes, you know, he's not facing the best competition when he's at Seattle University, but he struck out some Texas A&M hitters earlier this year. And to double your strikeout rate at that point in your career is pretty impressive. Fastball-slider combination. Now, he was not on Joe Doyle's top 614 prospects for the draft. So the Orioles might have reached here a little bit, but I think they like the projectability of if you double your strikeout rate with a small school's pitching staff, What can you do when you get into our pitching development system? I think that is why the Orioles went with Herman. 12th round pick, 361 overall, Blake Money. Now, the O's have had some good names come out of this draft for them so far, but Blake Money, the right-handed pitcher out of LSU, is one of the great ones. Mid-90s fastball, he's got a slider and a changeup to go with it. Money 
who's kind of bounced around with LSU. He was a reliever in 2021. He was a starter in 2022, although he had a 5-plus ERA. Then they put him back in the bullpen this year. LSU had a lot of guys on their team this year. Now, listen, they won the national championship, so can't fault them too much. But they had a lot of guys on their team this year who could be starters other places, but struggled with command and then were put in what was kind of a shaky bullpen for a while for LSU. And money was one of them. He also had a 5.97 ERA this year, 30 strikeouts, 12 walks in 35 innings, but he's got some good stuff and he can project as a starter and the Orioles can work with him on the command issues. Also has a brother literally named Cash Money, so I'll take that as a Cash Money selection for the Orioles. 13th round selection, O's stayed with LSU. I saw uh, Joe Radke, I believe it was, uh, one of the loyal listeners here make a comment on Twitter that Ben McDonald must have been in the draft room here on day three because Riley Cooper was the selection by the Orioles in the 13th round, left-handed pitcher out of LSU. If you watched any of the 2023 College World Series, you know Riley Cooper. Left-handed reliever with a low 90s fastball, but it's got really high efficient spin, so it really plays up in the zone. Good slider to go with it. Basically been a reliever his entire college career, but had a 4.38 ERA this year, 63 Ks in 62 innings. Pretty good stats, but Riley Cooper in the postseason just became a completely different guy. He became, like, think Madison Bumgarner in the Giants' 2014 run to the World Series. That was almost how good Riley Cooper was from the left side in the postseason. Just took over when he got to the mound. Think Andrew Miller with the Orioles, and basically with any other team he's pitched for in the postseason. That was Riley Cooper in the NCAA tournament. In the postseason this year, Cooper in 19 and two-thirds innings, including the NCAA and the SEC tournament, 19 and two-thirds innings, 22 Ks, six walks, a 1-3-7 ERA, and he had three saves in the College World Series. He pitches with some fire. That fastball really has some hop to it up in the zone. I loved watching Riley Cooper pitch, and I am very happy he is a Baltimore Oriole. 14th round selection. How about another pitcher? You all asked for the pitchers. The Orioles certainly gave you the pitchers on day three of this MLB draft. As it is, Michael Ferret is the pitcher they took in the 14th round. Right-handed pitcher out of the State College of Florida, Manatee, Sarasota. Basically a satellite campus of a junior college in Florida, but they all have really good baseball programs, so it's not like this. he's playing on some dirt field in the back of a middle school. He had really good stats at JUCO this year. 3-3-4 ERA, 86 innings, 11 Ks per nine, less than two walks per nine. He's a really interesting story. Now, he has only pitched one college season. That was this year. And you may be wondering, well, you're not allowed to pitch just one college season. You know, if you, if you go to college, you have to pitch at least two years. That is not the case if you go to a junior college. He pulled the old Bryce Harper. If you remember back in the day, Bryce Harper didn't get drafted out of high school. Instead, he went to a junior college for one year. If you go to junior college, you're eligible to get drafted after one year. So, Ferret was committed to East Carolina, one of the best college programs in the country. But he basically decided, I would rather go pro sooner but I don't think I can get drafted high enough out of high school. So he goes to junior college, pitches for one year, pitches incredibly well, and the Orioles take him in the 14th round. It's a mid-90s fastball, change-up, slider combination. I'm really excited for him because 
When you target those guys that do JUCO for one year and were committed to really good schools initially, they could have some super high upside. 15th round pick is an interesting one. Sorry if I bungle the name, but it's Curay Lott, I believe, is the high school outfielder out of Georgia. That is Loundis High School in Georgia. Six foot four center field prospect who's got a pretty good looking swing from the right side of the plate. He's actually committed to play for a junior college in Florida for his college ball, the number nine outfield recruit in the state of Georgia, according to Perfect Game. Shouldn't take too much money to pry him away from a JUCO commitment. Again, probably going to JUCO so he could get drafted after one year. Instead, gets drafted at a high school, which tells me the O's should be able to sign him. Now, those were rounds 11 through 15 for the Orioles. Coming up next, we'll get you the final five picks of the draft for the Orioles. Rounds 16 through 20 are coming up after this. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. Sometimes in life, we're faced with tough choices and the path forward isn't always clear. Whether you're dealing with decisions around your career, your relationships, anything else, therapy helps you stay connected with what you really want in your life and what you really want just in general while you navigate everything that comes with life. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice, the easier it gets. And therapy can help you practice that. Therapy has helped me for a lot of my life. It can help you as well. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnMLB to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LockedOnMLB. So we're wrapping up day three of the MLB draft for the Orioles. The final five picks we're getting to here, seeing if they got really any good value here in the last few picks. And with their last few round picks, the Orioles did something similar that they did in the last few rounds of the 2022 draft, where... They went after a few guys that would kind of be safety nets for the Orioles. Guys who are probably going to go back to college or are going to college in general if they are high school players. But guys that if the Orioles do kind of fail to sign a higher draft pick, they could have some of that slot money that they could allocate to one of these guys and pry them away from their college. A good example is what the O's did last year. They drafted the shortstop Carter Young out of Vanderbilt. Now, everybody thought Carr Young was going to stay in school. He was transferring from Vanderbilt. He was going to go play for this dominant LSU team. He had a chance to be their shortstop. And everyone thought this was going to be the time Carter Young was going to transfer. And that was going to be that. However, the Orioles took him in the 17th round just in case. And then they couldn't sign their third round pick, Nolan McLean, because there was an issue with his MRI. So all that slot money that would have gone to McLean was freed up. The Orioles offered it to Carter Young. He took it, and they got him in their org. So some of these guys are going to fall into that same category for the Orioles. So we'll start with their 16th round pick. Now, this guy does not fall into this category. Their 16th rounder is Cole Ehrman, the catcher out of Cal State Fullerton. Now, Ehrman, not much of a hitter. Bat got better this year. His average was 210 in 2020. Got up to 270 in 2023. So that is good. That is a good thing. Bad thing is he doesn't really hit for any power, any extra base hits at all. However, 
Ehrman is one of the best defensive catchers in this entire draft. Has an insane arm, receives the ball well, blocks well. This is just a really good depth catcher to have in your system, and the Orioles get him in the 16th round. In the 17th round, the Orioles went with an interesting arm. It is Zane Barnhart, a right-handed pitcher out of Hillsdale College, which is a Division II school up in Michigan. Now, it's not like the Orioles and the Orioles alone just discovered Barnhart themselves out of nowhere. Barnhart was in the transfer portal this summer, and Barnhart is committed to West Virginia University to play in the Big 12, a West Virginia team that went to the NCAA tournament this year. So a good program had found him already. Now, because he's committed to a better school, it could make it a little harder for the O's to sign him because if he's going to West Virginia, he's going to have a lot more eyes on him, which could mean, hey, if he pitches well at WVU in the Big 12, he goes from a 17th round pick to maybe an 8th round pick or a 7th round pick next year and makes himself a lot more money. So we'll see what the O's can do to get him into the system. But he was a three-year reliever at his D2 school, Hillsdale College. Had a 2.06 ERA this year, 61 Ks to just 10 walks in 44 innings. The stuff's pretty good. Mid-90s fastball. He's got a sinker, a changeup, and a really, really good sweeper. And he did show off at the MLB Draft League this summer, which is a collegiate summer league where players who are eligible to be drafted can go and really show off all their stuff for MLB scouts everywhere. 30 Ks in 18 innings there is pretty impressive. Now, the 18th rounder for the Orioles is one of their most interesting selections. They took Tanner Witt. He is a right-handed pitcher out of Texas. Tanner Witt could be, could have been, one of the best pitchers in this entire draft. Joe Doyle, who we had on the pod last week to preview the draft, had him, had Tanner Witt, as his number 75 prospect in the entire draft. Orioles pick him up with the 541st pick. If you're wondering why, it's because everyone has pretty much assumed that Tanner Witt is heading back to Texas to pitch for the Longhorns for another season and will not be signing. Why? Well, he's not exactly at his highest value right now. Tanner Witt, after making two dominant starts to open up the 2022 season, felt something in the elbow and had to get Tommy John surgery. Missed the rest of 2022 and was scheduled to miss all of the 2023 college season, but actually got on the fast track of his rehab and made it back onto the mound for the Longhorns on May 1st, much earlier than anyone thought he would be back. Unfortunately, he may have come back too quickly. In 10 and two-thirds innings pitch down the stretch with Texas, he allowed 13 earned runs with 8 Ks and 8 walks and basically did not factor in to the postseason run for Texas because it was pretty clear he was not healthy yet. Now, when he was good and when he was dominating back in 2021, it's a mid-90s fastball, it's an unhittable curveball, and a really, really good changeup. If he gets back to healthy... He's one of the top pitchers in next year's draft. So he's probably going to go back to Texas, try to stay healthy, and he'll be a first-round pick next year in the draft. However, if the Orioles fail to sign, maybe there's something wrong with an MRI with a physical of one of their picks in the first couple of rounds, they could allocate that money to Tanner Witt and maybe convince him to come to the Orioles and get him a year early before he would be available next season. That would be an absolute steal of course, it would come at the expense of an earlier pick. It would be awesome to get Tanner Witt. I think he's probably going back to school. 19th round pick, 
The Orioles went to the high school ranks for the second time. Shortstop Colin Ritchie out of Atoka High School in Oklahoma. This was a guy who didn't play a very high level of competition in high school, didn't play a very high level of competition in like the summer ball circuit outside of high school, so hasn't got a lot of scouts to look at him. Joe Doyle had him 439th on his prospect rankings for this draft. MLB Pipeline had him 214th, so a big difference right there. Left-handed hitting shortstop. Sounds like he'll probably move to third base in his pro career. Could take some extra money to get him to the Orioles, but he's kind of an intriguing prospect. But why did the Orioles select him? Well, he is committed to Oklahoma State, where Jackson Holiday's uncle is the head coach, where Jackson Holiday was committed himself, where Jackson Holiday's dad used to be an assistant coach. It's a family affair at Oklahoma State. The Orioles have a lot of connections there. That's the connection to Richie. And then the final guy that the Orioles drafted, it was the 20th round selection, Jalen Vasquez, a right-handed hitting shortstop out of North Greenville University. That is a Division II school in South Carolina. Now, he dominated in D2 baseball this year, hit 332, 1068 OPS, 12 homers, 32 walks to 34 strikeouts. But it's not like he came out of nowhere at a D2 school. He played his first two years at the University of South Carolina in the SEC. Just didn't really play a lot. Only 44 career plate appearances in two years and hit 189 for the Gamecocks. So decided to transfer to D2, lit the world on fire. He still has those tools that allowed him to get a scholarship from South Carolina in the first place. Awesome defensive shortstop, a little bit of pop at the plate. And we'll see if, you know, maybe, just maybe, I think I called him a right-handed hitter. He is a left-handed hitter. But maybe, just maybe, he can kind of break out and show what he showed that made South Carolina want him once he gets into the Orioles system. But that's a wrap on the 2023 MLB draft for the Orioles. And I'll give some more final thoughts on their draft later in the week. But generally, I mean, 22 picks, 20 of them college players, only two high school players taken to the draft. And of the 22 picks, they took 13 pitchers, by far the most they've taken. 12 of them were right-handed pitchers, but that is a lot of pitching. I know everyone wanted more pitching in the system. That's what they're lacking is high-level pitching they went after some arms in this draft, and hopefully it does pay off for the Orioles. But that'll do it for today's episode. I will be back tomorrow. We're still talking draft on tomorrow's episode. We are talking Enrique Bradfield Jr., the Orioles' first-round pick, 17th overall. We're going to get an expert in here who watched Enrique play all season at Vanderbilt. And we're going to talk about Enrique's ups and downs, a little bit of the offensive hit he took, the electric base running, the electric speed in general, the electric defense, and what next level can his bat get to when he gets to the Orioles. It'll be the Enrique Bradfield episode coming up on tomorrow's pod. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.